welcome aboard the battleship pretension i am tyler smith i'm david Bax, and thank you for listening david yes how you doing uh i'm doing well i'm gonna i'm gonna wade through some shit to get to what i really want to talk about okay because four years ago you and i I don't think on the podcast ever talked about cat person the uh, new yorker short story that that went viral um Unfortunately, it didn't go viral for being a really good short story, which is what it is. It, it went viral largely because a lot of people don't seem to understand the difference between a short story written in the first person and a memoir or something, you know. Uh, it was clearly labeled as fiction, and a lot of people decided to sort of take it uh, <coughs> as if it were some sort of, like, personal editorial. Anyway, um most listeners probably know why I'm bringing up the short story from four years ago, uh, because it turns out it's a little bit more based on, rea- on reality than uh, maybe we were saying, because uh, maybe that I was just saying, because um, a new essay was published today about the young woman that Cat Person is actually based on, who, before the story was published, had never met the author hmm. and did not understand how she knew so much about her. Um, so a new wrinkle in the cat person. Thing. It's a really good, it's a, a slate essay that, that she wrote about um, uh, uh, coming to terms with it and eventually like talking to the author. And we, we do find out how the author got um, the information. Um, but uh, all this, so this is, that is all the shit that I had to wade through. All this is, uh, I'm waiting through all this to, to talk about how much I'm looking, despite whatever this means, how much I'm looking forward to the cat person movie that is apparently still going forward. All right. Um, it's directed by Susanna Fogel, um, who directed a movie called life partners that made my top 10 list back in sure. 2014, um, with, uh, Gillian Jacobs and Leighton Meester. Um, and then more recently she did the spy who dumped me, which I didn't see, um but that i know uh right. people liked and she produced the miniseries the hbo max miniseries the flight attendant which my wife liked and most people that i know who watched it uh liked so she's got a lot of cred susanna fogel i'm looking forward to her uh the movie will star amelia jones who is the star of coda which was a hit at the virtual sundance this year and will mm-hmm. be a um heartwarming crowd pleasing hit and i don't mean that in a um disparaging way i quite liked the movie but it'll it'll be uh, uh hopefully it'll be embraced when it when it comes out and then as the cat person as the 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 guy in in the story not someone i would have pictured reading reading the story you didn't read the story so you don't know right. but um nicholas braun from zola oh. and succession so uh all this is to say Controversy aside, most of the controversy about Cat Person has been um, annoying to me because it's mostly just distracting from the fact that it's a really good short story. Mm. <laughs> uh, all the controversy aside, I am looking forward to the Cat Person movie. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I guess I got to read the short story. Um, yeah, I think. I mean, the fact, like, I think you should read the short story just as a short story and then like look up as little about the response to it as possible and no just, en- just enjoy it as a short story way ahead of you it's, it's um, very good and, and and sad and touching all right um so before we i'm trying to think Sorry if to we swall- have anything I just swallowed right into the microphone oh that's all right i didn't uh, hear anything but maybe okay. the list maybe eagle-eared listeners did um but uh before we move on and get to the the uh proper topic um just wanted to remind everybody of our book uh the 101 best movies of the 2010s which is available at the moment just in the u.s but i think i i think i'm on to something i've been working with uh, i've been talking with the proper people to uh get to bypass a bit of a a snag that we hit but i and so i think that will be happening soon sorry everybody um but uh, but yeah, you can find that at battleshipretention.com. It's uh, fifteen, sorry, it's fourteen ninety nine plus shipping. So um, yeah, I uh, very proud of of the book and my contribution. I think everybody did a really great job, and it's been a while since we've talked about it, so I figured I'd put it out there now. Um, so you can go to battleshipretention.com and uh, check out the one hundred and one best movies of the twenty tens. All right. Well, while we're pitching, uh, while we're shilling stuff, okay. I want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com. Tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional 
uh, quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and <laughs> colorful colors. Uh, Tyler and I use them each and every day. We're literally using them right now. Um, today I was listening, well, you know, um, I was listening to the Zola soundtrack, but I already kind of talked about that a little bit on, on the movie journal. So speaking of soundtracks now, Tom Petty did the entire, uh, all the music for the 1996 Edward Burns movie. She's the one. And, um, now his estate, I guess, has repackaged the soundtrack with new songs and I think different versions hmm. and are releasing it as a, um, a, a Tom Petty album called Angel Dreams, in parentheses, music from and inspired by she, She's the One or something like that. Um, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, you know, you could say this is a, uh, a cash grab on the part of the uh, people behind his estate, or you could say these are people who care about this music and wanted to see it presented in yeah. a way that was that was its own thing, separate from the the movie. In any case, it's great, and I listened to it a couple of times today, actually, uh, on my tweaked audio dot com earbuds. They uh, it sounded great. Um, you can get the same experience for yourself at tweaked audio dot com. Um, they're available at a low low price, but if you use the offer code pretension. At checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweaksaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Tyler? Yes. Let's get into it, shall we? I am okay. very much looking forward to this episode. Oh, boy. I'm glad. Because, uh, yeah, it's it's an idea that we'd had. Wait, do oh. you know the Cream song about the guy who's glad? No. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad. Anyway, it's um. It, he never says why or uh, what about. Maybe he does. In my mind, he doesn't. Oh, okay. But it's um, <laughs> it's a yeah. Uh, I I feel like Natalie and I have so many inside jokes because we've you know I'm sure you and Jen do too. We spend so much sure. time together, especially the last year and a half, where we spent every day all day with each other. So um, yeah um. Not only I can't say that we feel glad, we have to like essentially sing it to each other. I'm so glad. <laughs> I'll tell you something. Um, <clears throat> something uh, Jen did recently that made me laugh because I wasn't. She's she's not often the type uh, to engage in in reference humor, um, but uh, in this case, uh, she she did one, and it's not necessarily a deep cut, but deep enough that people might not immediately know what it is when I say it. So um, we were watching uh, uh, planet earth or what is it? Blue planet or what, whichever one is about the ocean. Um, okay. And you know, you're seeing blue all planet these... maybe specifically about the ocean. Okay. Planet earth is about the whole deal. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the what have you. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, so, you know, you're seeing all these fish and it's, it's amazing how many different types of fish there are. And then there is one fish, <clears throat> uh, it was a barracuda. And so it's, it's swimming, uh, across and it looks really creepy. And, and, uh, Jen's like, what kind of fish is that? And I said, uh, barracuda. And she goes, huh? What? I don't know what that's from. And I laughed. I was like, what? Hey, look at you. Uh, it is a reference to jaws. Um, there's uh the mayor says you yell barracuda everyone says huh what you yell shark and we have a panic on our hands on the fourth of july so that's very that's very funny yeah and the and it was like immediate uh and so and i'm sure it's like oh she's probably she probably knows exactly what that is but she's setting up she's setting herself up for a joke which is very exciting um i and, love it and when i said like hey that's really exciting she was she goes well i can make jokes like that and it's like no the issue is not being able to make the joke, it's the, the joke that you made. Like anybody can make, if you want to make a Jaws reference, any old person can say, you know, we need a bigger boat. That's, that's Jaws reference 101. Yeah. 
Barracuda, huh? What? That is yeah. a special kind of fan. And I was very excited when she made that joke. Uh, I love that. Yeah. Um, Natalie makes movie references and TV references all the time. Yeah. Um, but uh, you're saying um, we're going to need a bigger, it reminds me of uh, there's a running, uh, 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 the best show. I always talk about the best show. I used to do a running mm-hmm. thing where John would call on his characters. And a running thing that he would do is get famous movie quotes wrong and so he would say like we need a way bigger boat <laughs> uh, that's funny uh, all right but uh, why don't you tell us what we're doing today yes yeah, so this is an episode uh that i remember i think many years ago we we threw out the idea of which is um discussing movies that we really love and that it's entirely possible uh, many of the listeners already know about um but they're movies that we really respond to that just people don't talk about very much uh even in like the the smaller world of like film like online film fans that you and i are a part of uh for whatever reason um and or at least we at the very least for in my case like movies that i haven't heard people talk much about um and so uh my friend uh, okay. scott cupper who will be listening to this uh he was in town recently he lives in uh, chicago and so he was in town he and his wife and they were staying uh they're visiting us and so he said you know what kind of episode i would really like is one where you guys just sort of recommend uh some some movies uh just throughout film history that you really love that people maybe don't know much about. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's, we meant to, to do that. And okay. so we didn't really have anything this week and we thought this might be a good opportunity. So, uh, so this you and I, the, both what you pitched, just said is not how you pitched it to me. So now oh, I'm like sorry. I how did wrong. I, how did I pitch it to you? What you specifically said is this is like our annual through the cracks episode, yes. but for all time. Yeah, it's it's essentially. I mean, that's okay. uh, that is a more uh, that's a better sum up of. Uh, oh, it's of your what sum it up. <laughs> I know. Good for me. I forgot about it in the moment. Um, but uh, but yeah. So you and I have both picked five. In actuality, I was at lunch today and I was making a big list on my phone and realized I've I've listed too many movies. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to stop now uh, because I listed like probably 40. And then from okay. that list, I got it down to 10 knowing that there were probably that we'd probably just wind up with five. And so, uh, so yeah, I was very excited about this, even though, again, I can, I think my tastes tend to run more mainstream than yours. So I wouldn't be surprised if most people were already very familiar with the five that I'm going to talk about. But I guess because I did it in a certain way, uh, some of these movies, I think our listeners might know because these are right. Well, we'll we'll talk when we get to it. So we had different uh, kind of approaches, but I, I also have more than five. We'll do five. Um, but I wanted to start by just tossing one out that isn't on my list, but just it's available. And it, uh, this also came up uh, recently on the TCM wrap up episode. If the only thing you know about Georges Méliès is a trip to the moon mm-hmm. criterion channel has a ton, a bunch of his other shorts and they're totally worth watching. So that is, um, that is my first recommendation. Uh, cause I decided I was going to, uh, narrow mine down by focusing on things that you can stream. Sure. Um, uh, or maybe, you know, rent <coughs> and stream. I know people are like that word has connotations that I think people think when you say, Oh, it's streaming. That means it's on a subscription service. Right. But if you rent something, yeah, you're it doesn't download. It. You're still streaming it. But I, I just want to make clear this is for stream or rent, but whatever kind of some right. kind of VOD. Um, so that's all. It's all my main five are all uh, available, and uh, I just wanted to start by tossing out that hey, that uh, a lot of George Melia's shorts, besides a trip to the moon, are worth watching and available. Okay. Uh, so is that your like your first official recommendation? That, no, that's my not. I haven't that's started your, yet. That was okay, my just okay. primer recommendation. Okay. Um, in case we, I'll say this: in case we do this again, because God knows, I have plenty to choose from. Uh, okay. Because I, after a while, I just had to stop myself. Um, uh, I'm I'm fine to. I think I'm going to not do any honorable mentions. I'm just going to stick with five because I don't want to ruin. I don't want to spoil it for myself for a later okay. episode. But well, you're I'll, welcome I'll toss to do mine so. out at the end. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so my 
I'll, I'll, and I listed mine in, in uh, chronological order. Oh, so good, this is a no, this is a no particular order. So, um, except chronological. But yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. It's not in order. It's of not pre- ranked. Of preference or right? not right. ranked. Yes, yes. thank you. Um, so yeah. So my first, uh, the first recommendation here is Joseph von Sternberg's *The Blue Angel* from 1930, uh, that stars uh, Emil Jannings and Marlene uh, Marlene Dietrich. Um, obviously, Emil Jannings, difficult figure in film historically. Uh, which is unfortunate because he was a pretty great actor. Uh, one of my, one of my uh, favorite films, uh, The Last Laugh stars, stars him. And here um, it, it's a film that it's not, you know, no, it's very expressionistic. It's not necessarily a, like a noir film because a little early for that. But story-wise, the idea of, of a femme fatale um, coming into a man's life and just ruining it um, that's that plays heavily into this, but it's not necessarily a criminal situation. Um, uh, Emil Yannings plays like the very stuffy headmaster of uh, <clears throat> or just or one particular uh, teacher at this uh, college at this uh, pardon me at this uh, school. And uh, the various uh, boys at the school will go to the Blue Angel, which is a, a local uh, club. And he's saying like, oh, you shouldn't go to that club because it will it's a place of low character, a place of low morals, and it will it will ruin your life. Uh, and at one point he goes there. I don't remember. Uh, he doesn't go there just like because he's secretly looking for for uh, companionship or anything like that. Um but when he sees Marlena Dietrich there uh, as a singer, he falls deeply in love with her and uh, and just starts sort of pursuing her. And she's more than this is not a stalking situation. She's more than happy to have his uh, attention and affection. And she just completely exploits it uh, mm-hmm. and turns him into just I I. It, it, it's been a while since I've seen, I don't remember if he just straight up loses his job, but whatever the case is, he is devoted solely to making her happy. And the last thing that she can do is show him whether she's happy or not, because then he might uh, get a little uh, content or complacent. And so she, it's, it's a, a, a true like femme fatale black widow type performance uh, and character um, but the two and eventually, like by the end of the film, like he, you know, he was this very proper, well-spoken character. But by the end, he is just hunched over and just the look on his face. He, he's, he's almost like animalistic, like or, or childlike. And so, uh, yeah, it's a it's a film that you might view as uh, maybe even a bit misogynistic, if not for just the the inherent watchability and strength and intelligence of Marlena Dietrich. Um, but, uh, but also stylistically, I mean, it's, it, it is heavily influenced by uh, German, uh, German expressionism. Um, I'm not sure if I would quite say that it is, that it qualifies as that, but it's heavily influenced by it to such an extent that this just feels almost like a fable. Um and uh, and it's definitely worth watching for the performances, for the visuals, and for a story that is just, frankly, pretty rough, but uh, somehow enjoyable at the same time. So, The Blue Angel by uh, Joseph von Sternberg. Wow. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to go that deep on all of, all of mine. Uh, I, I don't think while. I can either, honestly. <laughs> okay. Um, but I'm also going um, way back. I'm going even older than that, all the way back to 1919, and a film directed right. by... Irvin Willett, and it's called Behind the Door. <coughs> and it's a movie that, um, uh, it, I, it, like I said, it came out in 1919. It actually takes place in 1925 after the, after the war that was currently going on in 1919. Um, and, but, it, but it flashes back to, starts in 25, flashes back to 1917, and we see this German-American who when the war breaks out is uh, mistreated, singled out by the other Americans in his, in his town. um, And then goes and uh, signs up for the, the Navy and goes and, and, and fights in the war. And we see him come back sort of a, a broken shell of a man. Hmm. Um, uh, And 
what what i'm not uh, there's a lot about the story that i'm not telling you because i uh there there are different layers it's 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 fascinating to see it as a depiction of 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 prejudice um and and this very sort of humane plea to like uh you know even though we're our enemies might be or the the enemies of our army might be uh germany but it doesn't mean that all german people living in america are right. are bad it's making that sort of social point but there's way more to the story that is way more harrowing and eventually gets into the place of being like nearly like horror movie uh, level mm. um when you find out what behind the door actually means um it's a pretty uh um it's a, it's a pretty uh, rough uh, i mean it's you know they don't depict all that much violence but in terms of what's implied uh right. it's a pretty grisly violent um movie uh that's uh yeah starts out as uh, a tale of um uh, prejudice and turns into a revenge movie uh in a a pretty grimly satisfying way it's not it's it's one of those you know there there are movies that the movies that do revenge right are the movies that like you're with the person who wants to get revenge right you're on their side but then when they do you're like Oof, I don't know if I was actually yeah uh on that person's side uh and, and behind the doors is, is is one of those and it's current it's on uh Amazon and it's also according to justwatch.com it's on Fandor I don't really know what the current state of Fandor is yeah uh, I know it's I know it's coming back um I'm very excited about it actually because it's uh the guy behind the film detective, uh, Phil oh, uh, yeah. Hopkins, whom I met once at uh, the National Association of Broadcasters uh, convention in Las Vegas. How's he um, doing? Well, this was many years ago, but uh, he, oh, okay. he was fine. He knew us. Um, nice. uh, and we, we talked about old movies. We talked about, uh, we talked about, uh, we talked about the vampire bat, I think. Cause it was, we talked about some like movie that film detective had just put out on, on, on Blu-ray anyway. Um, so he's like basically reviving Fandor and I know there was a big announcement at the virtual South by Southwest in March, but I don't know when that's actually supposed to launch, but according to just watch this movie's on Fandor, but it's also on Amazon. Okay. Okay. Uh, next up for me is a film that I know I've mentioned on the show before. I don't know how much detail I've gone into. Um, it is Alexander's 1951 uh, Alexander McKendricks, pardon me, a 1951 film, The Man in the White Suit, starring uh, Alec Guinness. It is a, an Ealing comedy. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are familiar with Lavender Hill Mob and Kind Hearts and Coronets and, and a lot of the other, like, uh, Alec Guinness uh, Ealing comedies. This one, I feel like, doesn't get talked about very much. And that is a shame because it's, in many ways, it's a very, deli- it's a very lighthearted, delightful film, but also one that's extremely... Uh, extremely interesting from a socio-political and economic uh, standpoint um, in it. He plays uh, an inventor who creates a fabric that cannot get dirty and will not uh, wear. Um, and so the idea is you can, you can manufacture clothing that uh, could last a person forever, essentially. Um, <clears throat> and this is exciting because it, it will be really good for the consumer. Uh, you know, they won't have to just uh, like, Oh no, this shirt has a hole in it or whatever it is. Like they, once they buy it, unless they gain a lot of weight and, and outgrow it or whatever, like they've got it for the rest of their life and it's not going to, it's not going to stain or anything like that. Uh, come to find out that, you know, he's really excited about this. Like this is going to change, this is going to change uh, clothing. Yeah. As it turns out, the, 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 corporate uh clothing and and the the local labor union not super thrilled about this because uh means fewer people are going to be required to work and it also means like well we're going to make fewer sales when we're only selling somebody one shirt of a certain kind uh their whole life and so you know it does bring up uh you know in 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 my circles the idea of like well hey we need to do what's good for the consumer um, and 
both executives and labor can just sort of catch up. And this is a film that our main character is not the villain. In fact, we're very much in favor of, of what he is doing, but he also comes to realize that there are other considerations than simply what's good for the consumer and just what is perfectible like, like this, this cloth. Um, and so I feel like by the end, you wind up seeing a lot of different perspectives. And I feel like the film doesn't necessarily come down on any one side, but it brings up a lot of very interesting questions about uh, within capitalism, because you've got, you know, business owners, you have consumers, you have workers, like those are the three things. And often those things would be at odds with each other. Um, and, uh, and so essentially you ask like, well, which one am I going to side with in this particular instance or that particular instance? And it's a very interesting film. All of the, all that while still being that's that standard Ealing lightness. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, it's a shame that it got, that it has sort of gotten lost amongst these other Allegheny's Ealing comedies that are, I think are probably better, but I think this one is, it's no slouch. There's a lot going on in this film. Uh, all right. Well, speaking of different points of view, um, I mean, I don't mean, that I have a different point of view. I mean, that my next movie also contains that. Uh, going to 1931 and a King Vidor film called Street Scene, which, uh, among other things, is a clear uh, uh, influence, a precursor to Do the Right Thing, uh, because it is a movie that takes place entirely in one day on a New York block hmm. on a very, very hot day. Um, uh but it's also, it's adapted from a play. Um, it takes place over even less square yardage than Do the Right Thing does. It's really basically just the front of one building and people who live mm-hmm. in the building, um, mostly poor people uh, who live in the building, come and come and go and, and they shout from the sidewalk to the windows and the windows to the sidewalk. That's where you get some of the fun. Like most of the movie is, you know, just pointed at this, this sort of stoop, but you get these like extreme high and low angle shots of people looking up or down uh, at the windows um, that are, that are very exciting, but the different points of view thing um, showing, I mean, something that I think very, that speaks to some of the things we're still talking about today um, is sort of differing political points of view among the working class that you've got in the same building. You've got the very, um, the the pro-union very leftist uh point of view and then you've also got people whose politics are informed by being devoutly religious and and they have a more uh, so you've got sort of the economic left and the moral right um living in the same place and having these uh uh arguments and conversations back and forth uh all day it's uh it's king vidor is uh if i'm saying that right Vidor? I've always said Vidor is how I've always heard it, no, but maybe I'm sure it could go either way. No, you're probably right. I'm not, I'm not good at picking up on how names are pronounced. I like lock into something in my brain and then I like don't hear it another way. But um, uh, although I was, I didn't, uh, we got to circle back on this. I was right based on what I looked up on the what's a hard G and what's a soft G. Oh, okay. So G as in like gas, that's a hard G. And man, ju, as in gymnasium is a soft G. I looked it, it up. seems so that is so counterintuitive to me because um, it just feels like, yeah. Uh, Natalie, too, by the way, thing would require more mouth and tongue movements, but it makes a harder. I'm sorry. What? It makes a harder sound. The G. Yes. That's, that's true. I think that's what it is. But uh, Natalie agreed with you. I, when I asked her, I was like, well, which would you say is a hard and soft? And she was, she was uh team Tyler, I guess. But, Damn right. uh, According to my research, uh, I was right. Even if I am in the minority among people I know, uh, it's, anyway. it's a losing team, uh, as it so often is. Uh, um, anyway, how do we get, uh, so yeah, whether it's King Vidor or King Vidor, um, he's one of the all time best and he can make something that, uh, is ac- absolutely electric and cinematic and, and, and comes alive out of, uh, a stage play that mostly takes place on one, uh, New York stoop. So street scene, and this is, uh, it's okay. It's streaming on something called the classics app, which is C L A S S I X, which is a free app, which makes me think that anything you're getting is probably public domain and not probably, the best yes. condition, but 
to me, I've never been a snob about the condition of movies. I didn't fall in love with pristine 35 millimeter movies. I fell in love with pan and scan VHS movies. Oh, That's yeah. still how I fell in love with movies. And so to me, if this is the best way to see it, you can, you can watch it. Yeah. I remember the first time I saw chimes at midnight. Um, it was on, I mean, I'd been looking for it for a long time. Then I found it, uh, in a independent, uh, I think it was a Broadway, Broadway video, um, in Chicago. And, you know, it's one of those things like you hear terms and you have a general idea of what they mean. And then you see, you see something like, I remember the very first time I organically used the word mind numbing was when I saw Van Helsing. Uh, and I was just like, got it. Yes. <laughs> uh, and I don't think I fully understood what people, uh, meant when they talked about like a muddy transfer until I saw that VHS copy of, uh, chimes at midnight. But uh, anyway, okay, so my... Wait, Stephen Summers, huh? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love that Mummy movie. You know? And I know people like Mummy Returns. I didn't like it as, as much. But uh, yeah, he's done, nothing... He, he's done a number of other things as well. I remember, yeah, that first I mean, Mummy is a lot of fun. He hasn't done, he well before that he did Deep Rising, he did the ninety four jungle book movie, which I never saw. Oh yeah. Um and the ninety three Huck Finn, which I don't remember <laughs> if I saw or not. It's pretty good. Um then he did G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra. Hmm. And then something called Odd Thomas with Oh with Anton oh, Yelchin. Yeah, and Anton Yelchin. That's right. That's yeah. his last movie, twenty thirteen. Hmm. Anyway. Even though I haven't seen many of those and those I have seen I think are only okay. Uh uh, too, that's too bad. I don't know why. It's in interviews. He always seemed like the nicest guy. Uh, that's Stephen Summers. Um, but yeah, if he can make something as like fun as the mummy yeah. and as something as anti-fun as Van Helsing is just, <laughs> it's, it's like the anti-matter of fun. Fun cannot <laughs> enter that, that picture. All right. Yeah, try watching uh, The Mummy and Van Helsing in one night. You won't be able to do it um, <laughs> physically. So, uh, okay. <laughs> so my next film is a Peter, and speaking of not knowing how to pronounce things, uh, M-E-D-A-K. Medak? Medak? I don't know oh, how you say me, it. Medak? Yeah, Medak? I, that's another one. I, I don't think I know how to pronounce anything. You said the na- on the BP Movie Journal the other day you said the name of the composer of the score for Zola. I immediately forgot. And I don't know how to say his name. I think it's Mika Levy. That's how Levy. musicologist, okay. uh, uh, West Anthony said it. See, that's um, what I need to pay attention to. I need to learn how other people who know what they're talking about say it. Yeah. West does his research too. That's the thing. So like if he pronounces it a certain way, that's pretty much the way it should be said. Um, but yeah, so let's say Peter Medak's uh, The Ruling Class from 1971. This is a film that I think it, I think years ago it got a, a Criterion DVD release. I don't think it's made the jump to Blu-ray yet. Um, so it is a film that people know about. It stars uh, Peter O'Toole um, uh, along with uh, several other very uh, delightful British actors, including uh, Alistair Sim. Um so it is in many ways, it's just like an essential 1971 film. There's still stylistically, there's still a lot and tonally, there's still a lot of 1960s uh, counterculture zaniness in it. Um, but it is also, there's a, there's a lot going on culturally, but um, you know, Peter O'Toole was nominated for this film. And, and I think understandably, so he commits fully to this character. Um, he plays, um, <clears throat> the son of like, what is it? Is it at the house of Lords? Is that what it is? I think that's what it is. That sounds right. uh, yeah. 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 So, <clears throat> so his father is, is, you know, a, a well-to-do uh, member of the house of Lords. And then he winds up taking over uh, for his father, I believe again, haven't seen it in a while, uh, but I think he takes it over. Uh, and he's also uh, insane. He's, he's literally insane. He thinks he's Jesus Christ. And so all the things that he's saying about love and forgiveness and just his general look and demeanor don't really fit with uh, the House of Lords. And so they uh, they take all of these um, they take all these measures against him. Um, and uh, again, I, I think that he oh, yes, I believe he goes into a, into a mental hospital uh, and when he comes in, when he comes out, he's much more down to earth, much more. um 
presentable and he fits in with the House of Lords perfectly well. Here's the thing, though. Uh, he's gone from thinking he's Jesus Christ to thinking he's Jack the Ripper. And what are the odds he fits in just fine? Um, and so like stuff like that is, is, um, is sort of the way the, the film is, is commenting on uh, respectable society. Um, uh, but it is, it is just kind of a, a cr- just a crazy over the top film. I could see people finding it off putting actually um, because it does still have that very 1960s, uh, zany, uh, off the wall quality to it. Um, but I do think that Peter O'Toole's performance, and he's essentially giving two performances here. Um, I think he does well with both of them and, uh, really, I would say grounds the film, but he's just as over the top as, as, as the film is, but he does provide a certain degree of consistency, even though he is going from one type of performance to another. Um, and it's, it's a, a really fun film that I do. Again, this is one that I recommend, but you need to go in knowing, what you're getting tonally. Um, it might be the kind of thing that is just so over the top and silly that uh, people might have no use for it. Uh, all right. Well, I am also going to pick a movie that has been released by the Criterion Collection, mm-hmm. um, which I almost, I was almost like hesitant because my next two are all, are both <coughs> movies that are uh, on the Criterion channel and that um, uh, were released on disc. And I was, I was almost like, are, our audience, maybe this won't be that obscure to them because it's on, on Criterion. But there's also right. like, there's literally over a thousand movies in the Criterion collection. Like, there's probably a lot that people haven't seen. I know there's a lot of them that I haven't seen. So anyway, and also again, speaking of uh, names that I don't know how to pronounce, uh, directed by Jan Troel, Troel, uh, Troel. I'm not sure how you say his name. Um, 1966's Here Is Your Life. Okay. Uh, Jan Troel is a uh, Swedish director. Um, we've talked about him on this podcast before, because in addition to this, he also directed the emigrants in the new land, which is kind of a two part um, movie. It's essentially like one six hour movie, but it was released as, uh, as two parts. We talked about it a little bit with, with Mariah. Cause it's, even though it's a Swedish movie, it's also kind of an American Western, especially the second half. Um, and we also talked about when we did uh, way back in the beginning of the pandemic, when we did our um, Max von Sydow, uh, profile we talked about Hamsun, um, <laughs> in which he uh, uh, Max Zero played a, a real life Norwegian um, respected author who then sort of became a non respected author when he decided to be very vocally pro Hitler. Um, anyway, but that's not what this movie is about. Uh, uh, this is a Swedish movie called Here Is Your Life, and it's I guess you would call it a coming of age story. But the movie it reminds me the most of is uh, Jean Nimoy's To Live, because it's a movie that uses a long sp- span of time in one character's life to kind of talk about the country as a whole. So this is a movie about a character, a young man coming of age, but it's also a movie about Sweden in a lot of ways. Okay. Um, uh, the the uh, the young man in this case um, his father either, it's been a while since I've his father either dies at the beginning or leaves at the beginning and so a lot of the movie is very episodic as he leaves home because he needs to take care of himself he doesn't have a, uh, anyone providing for him and he gets a series of jobs and the movie is sort of divided into sections based on the jobs that he has and each of his bosses one of whom is actually play, played by Max von Sydow uh, sort of represent different like facets of Sweden in in, in a way, um, but then he becomes Sweden. He takes all of this in. He is Sweden, and I think the movie is both patriotic and critical in many ways because you see as this character becomes more confident, more self reliant, more industrious, he also becomes more of a snob, <laughs> um, and the movie is sort of critical of uh, his high opinion of of, of of himself, and that and it is so you could very easily extrapolate that that's something that Jan Troll is uh, criticizing about Sweden. I don't know enough about about Sweden, but I don't know if there's a, a maybe a particularly uh, harsh strain of Swedish exceptionalism uh, going on in that country, but it, uh, it seems to be something that Jan Troll is taking aim at in. Here is your life. It's uh, very good, and as seems to be the case with pretty much all of his his films, um, it's quite long. I don't uh, I don't remember exactly how long. I uh, see IMDb has it listed as being under two hours, but I don't think that's the cut that's on the Criterion version. I think it's considerably okay. longer than that. 
Oh, well. But yeah, that's not Criterion. All right. So my next uh, film is also, I believe it got a, a recent Criterion release. Sorry, everybody. Um, but it's a film that I've been uh, singing the praises about, uh, singing the praises of for quite a while. Um, and, you know, with the man in the white suit, I was talking about like, hey, you might be familiar with these Ealing, these Alec Guinness starring uh, Ealing comedies. Um, <clears throat> But uh, and I think I might have talked about I think we talked on the Patreon. I think we talked about 1976 when I believe this movie came out. Um, and that is John Cassavetti's Husbands. Hmm. Um, I believe it did get a somewhat recent Criterion release, but for a while it was sort of the one that people hadn't seen. Um, you know, obviously Shadows, Faces, um, Chinese Woman on the Influence, Chinese Bookie, Love Streams, Mini Moscow, a lot of a lot of stuff. Um, but uh, but this one kind of uh, I don't know. It was under the radar for a little while, and I think it didn't. It only had like a VHS release for a while. That's how I watched it. That's how I saw it. Um, yeah. And I feel like it's a film that certainly uh, has probably become more relevant uh, since the time that it was, it was made, um, recently, uh, on, well, I guess it was on the, on the Patreon and I, and people haven't heard it yet, but, uh, we are talking about, uh, the movie deliverance and the, mm-hmm. the exploration of masculinity. And obviously husbands is just chock full of that. Um, yeah. John Cassavetes as a filmmaker was always fascinated by relationships and the way people present themselves, uh, to themselves, to their friends, to their loved ones and to the world. And husbands is very much about that. You have these three guys played by Cassavetes, Peter Falk and Ben Gazzara. And they're one of their closest friends. You know, they were a group of four uh, and one of their closest friends has just died. And they're trying to figure out what that means without ever actually being uh, introspective or at least not, not expressing how they feel. And so instead they kind of just go on this tear um, of drinking and strip clubs and, and competing. That's a big thing. And it's obviously, that's a very, that's a very masculine trait is competing, seeing who's the best, who's the alpha and that sort of thing. And these are, and the fact that it's called husbands is, is notable as well. It's always fascinating to see what Cassavetes names his movies um, because these guys are all married their wives are not in the picture right now. Um, they're doing this. They're just having like a guy's weekend. Um, and they just keep challenging each other and making fun of each other. And you wonder like, why did these guys even hang out? Uh, which incidentally is something that Jen has, <laughs> has asked me with my friends because we're always making fun of each other. But you look at this and you're just like, good Lord, is this how I sound to Jen? Um, Cause I'd really need to be careful here. Um, but there is affection there, but there, I think the affection is, is not nearly as important as the self-protection. And so there's just this constant challenge and I won't say how it ends, but one of the characters and one that you don't really expect winds up sort of taking the challenge to the next level. And the other guy's like, Oh, this is not what we expected to happen. And you see just how this kind of cajoling, this kind of, uh, competition can escalate very quickly until these guys become people that they themselves would never have wanted to be. Um, you know, in my mind, it's right up there with like 12 angry men and Glengarry Glenn Ross as like just these, these, these depictions of how men can uh, react towards one another and when they're looking to, to dominate, you know, it really is like in talking about, the idea of toxic masculinity, uh, I feel like the movie Husband should absolutely be in the mix in that conversation. Uh, all right. Um, another Criterion release that's on the Criterion channel. Uh, I'm sorry that we're both so basic. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, Murray Blue Angel is on Kino, so there's that. There you go. Uh, yeah, I have that Blu-ray. Never watched it. I've never seen the Blue Angel, but I do mm. have that Blu-ray. Uh, no, I'm talking about uh, Murray Lerner's 1967 concert documentary Festival, which is a, a documentary about the New Newport Film Festival. It's actually about four Newport. I said film festival. Sorry, Newport Folk Festival. It's about uh, he he shot four years, four different uh, festivals in a row, um, but. Uh, 
what's so fun about the movie is that the way that it recreates the uh, experience of the festival by even though it was over the course of four years, it's edited together like it's all one weekend. Like it literally, he does like daytime performances, nighttime performances. Like did like he does like you know people waking up in the morning when it's the next morning. He structures the movie um, as if it's a condensed version of a weekend at the festival, and so it's 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 completely. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Immersive is the word that I'm, hmm. that, I, that I'm looking for. And um, it's a movie that uh, I've been thinking about probably because of summer of soul, because it's a concert movie that very much loves the music. And there's uh, lots of uh, opportunity to listen to the music, but it, there's also, it, it's interesting. Yeah. I talked about with street scene, like things that are so relevant today. You talked about with husbands, like things that are still relevant today. Maybe that like, we should stop being surprised that people were talking yeah. about the same thing we're talking about um, years ago, because there's also some sort of, I think, gentle, not even critique, but like awareness of what we might now call cultural appropriation, but the culture that's being appropriated here isn't the kind of culture we normally talk about. Mm -hmm. You were talking about the, what was the documentary you watched? Hillbilly? Is that what it was called? Hillbilly. Yeah. Yeah. So the movie seems very aware that, the type of music that a folk festival is celebrating at this time in the early to mid 1960s, when folk stars are big stars, it's being played by people who aren't that, who aren't from, from there, you know, um, there's, you know, these are like, uh, you know, sort of rich kids, uh, um, you know, maybe they're some of them are dilettantes. Some of them, I mean, a lot of them are very obviously. Bob Dylan is more than a dilettante. He spent his entire yeah. career doing that. But um, uh, the the movie does seem to have some awareness that the the many of the artists and the audience for folk music in the mid '60s are not. Well, they're not hill folk, if you will. Right. They're not the kind of, they don't come from the kind of struggle, generational struggle necessarily um, and pain that made folk music uh, what it is, but they're just making it uh, uh, what it's become, which is still good, but it's, in a sense, it's a, it's like when people talk about, I hate when people say elevated horror, you know, like, yeah, because it's, it's dismissive of like what regular horror, like it's all film. Um, yeah. and, and there, I, I think festival does have, while still loving and celebrating the music has some awareness, like there's a condescension maybe to the, mm. the people who are like, that's nice. You, that this culture, um, made this thing we're going to take it and make it real now. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. That, that, that kind of, that kind of feeling. Um, I felt like there was something else I was going to say about the, the movie that I have forgotten. You've also got Dylan going electric in the movie. That was, wasn't what I was going to say, but that famous, that mm. famous event uh, happens in the movie. Damn it. I had something on the tip of my tongue and I forget what it was. Oh, well, well, Festival. I'll move on to the next one. And if you think of it, just interrupt me. You know um, that I will. I know. I will interrupt you. <laughs> By the way, I was um, trying to find, uh, uh, in preparation for this, I was trying to find my um, review of Festival um, when the Blu-ray came out. And you know what word is very difficult to search at battleshipretention.com? Festival. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, sorry about that uh no that's not your that's that's my fault i know um, maybe more, if you uh were more of a homebody um, um oh, i think what i was gonna say it was just like i was gonna try and get like cred points that i years and years before uh it came out on criterion i saw a festival at the era no no the egyptian uh here here in los angeles maybe that maybe that's what i was gonna say i was just gonna plead for some cred that i wasn't um maybe it was best that that uh that you forgot that <laughs> well no i said it eventually but yeah. do you ever get that like when you're into a movie and then like a criterion or someone oh, else sure. puts it out and you're like i'm i'm glad but i think there's a younger i, I i've I let go of this when i was younger i had like a oh no i now that can't be my like 
uh, hipster pick recommendation, you know, like why Criterion had to put out Hobson's Choice. I wanted to be like, oh, you like David Lean, huh? Have you heard of Hobson's Choice? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I mean, Husbands is an example. Right. I mean, that's one that I saw back in college and and that was the 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 rare the rare Cassavetes uh, film. And then it's on Criterion. Now everyone's yeah. seen it. But now, yeah, um, I, I'm less bothered by that now because I'm more. um confident in myself <laughs> like i'm more okay with myself i don't need to have cred all the time yeah and also it's just like well now i get to have a better version of it you know it's i right. mean yeah. like when chimes at Mid- when criterion announced that they were doing chimes at midnight like i was my first thought was like well no my it wasn't i i don't think in terms of cred but i do think of like you know um for someone like myself who I'm, I so often feel, uh, you know, imposter syndrome. And so like, yeah, I've seen the stuff that everyone has seen that every like movie fan has seen. Um, and so it's like, oh, but here's one that was not that readily available, but I've seen it because I'm a Wells fan. And then when it was re- announced on Criterion for the, for the briefest split seconds, like, well, now everyone's going to see it. But then I thought like, who cares? It's, it's getting a beautiful transfer. It's going to look yeah. amazing. Going to look a hell of a lot better than that muddy VHS that I saw all those years ago. Yeah, and so, had, yeah, so I was just happy after, yeah, I, you know, pretty quick. I was happy immediately when film movement announced, um, the reflecting skin Blu-ray, which had never been available mm. in, in, in this region, in this part of the world, uh, before I had no qualms about giving up my, uh, whatever I, whatever I had before my, my, my cheapo, uh, DVD for a new Blu-ray of, of the reflecting skin. <coughs> all right. That's uh, enough all right. Bullshit. My, my last, uh, recommendation is a film from 1998 um it is mark herman's little voice i don't know if you ever saw it i did see little voice i think when we I had it together on, you had it on a vhs i think that's I how i watched it yeah i did yeah. see little voice um great cast based on a play it's you got brenda blethen jane horrocks uh michael kane and among others uh jim broadbent so there's a lot uh, so you got a a solid little uh, ensemble there and uh it is about this uh this very a mousy young woman uh, who goes by uh, Little Voice, otherwise known as LV. And she lives with her sort of domineering, oblivious mother, played by Brenda Blethyn in the type of performance that she was uh, known to play in the 1990s. Um, And uh, Little Voice, uh, really the only, there might be something like, psychologically off about her but the only real way that she is able to express herself is through uh dead-on impressions of uh of you know old torch singers and stuff like that and uh she happens to catch the eye of a very small time promoter played by michael kane uh, who decides like, I'm going to make her famous and make me famous as a, as a result, or at least get me out of my current low level financial situation. These are all very working class characters. Um, and you just see how the, the promise of show business, uh, even very low level show business is enough to like make them feel like, Oh, it's, it's, it's finally going to happen for me. And so both the leads and the supporting characters, they, there's a, a real sadness there and a real melancholy to the overall film while also being uh, quirky and funny um, and some really amazing uh, musical performances by uh, Jane Horrocks, who, who uh, I am mostly familiar as somebody who has worked with Mike Lee a few times, but she's been around for a long time. And, and uh, yeah, it's uh I think it caught my attention because Michael Caine won a golden globe for it Hmm. and very unexpectedly. And, and that was when he, he went up and he said, he goes, look, I've made a lot of crap. Uh, He's like, I've been around a long time. I've made a lot of crap, but I I can make some good stuff now, you know? (laughs) And, uh, and so it's, and then the next year he would be in cider house rules and win an Oscar for that. And it's, I mean, he was, He's been doing good work up to that point, but uh, in lesser known stuff. And uh, he really, the the whole cast is good, obviously. But, and I think Brendan Blethyn was actually nominated for an Oscar for supporting actress, but, uh, but the film in general, just great performances. And mm. 
in my opinion, deserves to be talked about sort of in the same way that like the full Monty or the Englishman who went up a hill and came down a mountain, like this kind of, that kind of working class, like how do we, we're quirky, but there's a sadness here. And how do we break out of this? Like it deserves yeah. to be kind of mentioned in the same way like as those, those movies. movies. Yeah. Um, man, if, if you think uh, Steven Summers fell off, Mark, Mark Herman made a Boy. few movies. His last movie was 2008's The Boy in the Striped Pajamas, which yeah. I didn't see, but heard nothing good about. Right. Um, he made a 2003 movie called Hope Springs that I kind of can't believe I haven't heard of because there's also a 2012 movie called Hope Springs that have nothing to do with one another. Right. Uh, and that one I saw. That was with the uh, one with um, Tommy Lee Jones and, and Meryl, oh, yeah. right? That sounds right to me, yes. Um, but yes. So uh, so that's right, it for so me. That's one more, one more for me, and then I'll toss out some. Yeah, one more for me, and then I'll toss out some movies that you can't currently stream anywhere. But hopefully, okay. you'll remember them to keep an eye on them. The last one for me is uh, a very recent discovery for me, and hopefully for <laughs> other people who have taken advantage of uh, certain virtual cinemas because this movie is new- newly restored. Uh, Melvin Van Peebles' The Story of a Three Day Pass. Uh, I couldn't believe it for a. Uh, a, a director and maybe i'm just projecting my own um being in the dark about this movie for a director as influential as as important to cinema to american cinema in particular um as melvin van, van peebles um to to realize that he'd made a film um this good before he made sweet sweetback's badass song uh was stunning to me it's um an an absolutely one of a kind film it's so uh loaded with feeling and so loaded with honesty and anger but also the kind of anger that i think someone who has spent their entire life and has generational memory of racism feels it's it's a it's a functioning level uh, you know what i mean like mm-hmm. um that that <coughs> if you if if you're angry all the time, you're not going to, you know, or if all you think about all the time is your anger, you're never going to enjoy the things uh, out of life, even if your anger is perfectly justified and comes um, from uh, external uh, uh, attacks. Um, there's still a, a joie de vivre, I'll say, because the movie takes place in France, um, to, to the movie The, the Romance is the, the romance in the movie is a romance between a black man and a white woman. And that is very much germane to what's going on and what happens, but also in the scenes when it's just them, it's just a great romance. It's a great romance movie. It's, it's, it's a, two people either falling in love or just having one of those youthful fling weekends or whatever it is. There's uh, it's, it, it's, it's so in the moment it's, it, it has that, it ha- it, like I said, it's made in France. Um, it has that sort of new wave feel of just uh, going going with it in any given moment. You know, just uh, here's an idea, let's go with it. So there are things that happen in the movie that don't really happen. Like there are sort of flights of fancy um, that the movie doesn't take great pains to 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 demark uh, <laughs> from the rest of of the movie. It's not like oh, and here's a fantasy sequence. It's just like oh, I guess what's I guess this is in his head, but. Maybe not. Maybe everyone actually did part like the Red Sea on the dance floor the moment he met a locked eyes uh, with, with, with this woman. Um, it's uh, it, it's terrifically funny and 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 heartfelt and just uh, he he just seemed Melvin Van Peebles just as, as a filmmaker emerged fully formed I guess hmm. uh, because it's a it's a revelation it's a masterpiece and it's according to Just Watch it's on Fandor I don't know what that means but the yeah. fact that there are, was a new restoration that played virtual cinemas means there's probably a home video release coming of this new restoration. They don't, they didn't do the restoration just for, just for kicks. Uh, yeah. Just for virtual cinemas. So um, you said you didn't want to run down your honorable mentions. I do. If we do this again, I want to say, okay, it. well, I'm going to run down some that you can't see. Okay. So these are just keep an eye out. Um, 
Figuring the director of the uh, another another film from 1919. It's called South, or sometimes it's called Endurance. But when I saw it, uh, I saw it at, uh, at Webster University when I was a teenager. Uh, it was called South. It's about it's a documentary about the Ernest Shackleton uh, expedition to the the South Pole, which is um, a bit of history that I'm fascinated with because it went so so horribly wrong yeah. and yet is also a weirdly inspiring story at the at the same time but this is not an historical documentary looking back on it they brought cameras with them and yeah. this is from this movie was from 1919 they this is like something that just happened and they put the 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 footage together and it's it's a pretty stunning uh movie if uh, I don't know I don't know when uh anyone might make it available uh another uh, movie that is weirdly not streaming even though it's come up on this podcast multiple time uh, another silent movie ernst lubitsch's so this is paris um is uh, uh if you uh if you ever meet someone who thinks that silent films are slow and stodgy and and boring maybe so this is paris would be a good uh entry point because the this movie has wheels on it it moves so fast and is so much fun um Oh man, another silent film. Something about all these silent films that aren't av- available. Um, Clarence Brown's A Woman of Affairs. You've, pr- you've probably heard, people have probably heard of Flesh and the Devil, um, but A Woman of, Affa- of Affairs is the other movie directed by Clarence Brown starring Greg Garbo and John Gilbert um, that is also about uh, young lovers unfairly separated. Um, I'm not saying it's quite as good as Flesh and the Devil, but it's up there. Um, and it's uh, the... The, that team, that filmmaking team, was clearly on fire. Um, uh, I forgot the director's name, Edward Kahn, maybe. Um, Law and Order. There are a lot of there are a lot of movies called Law and Order, but this mm. one's from 1932, and it's a western uh, starring Walter Houston, um, in which he uh, is a retired lawman who doesn't re- stay retired too long because he ma- makes the mistake of moving to Tombstone, Arizona, and mm. everything is uh, crazy, and he gets sort of put in charge of uh keeping the town peaceful um and then finally a 1972 um uh chinese film called intimate confessions of a chinese courtesan it is as fun as that sounds it's i mean it's a in many ways it's a uh, a kinky sexploitation movie but it's also a martial arts movie it's a like a lady martial <laughs> arts movie it's a shaw brothers uh m- movie that is so over the top in every moment it doesn't the movie does not waste a single moment i saw this at the the billy wilder theater probably a dozen years ago um uh and it it, it, it just has one crazy thing after another and yeah it's it's so lush um it has uh um like i said kinky i mean kinky it has a scene where a woman gets like whipped and her back is like split open and then another woman is like licking her wounds huh. it's it's, huh. uh, it's pretty cool um and then uh i was just looking it up because i hadn't seen it in so long i was just like reading about it on wikipedia um and uh someone um uh, a critic once compared it an american critic once compared it to a uh z-grade scarlet empress <laughs> <laughs> which is a, i think maybe was not meant as a recommendation but i think sounds great that's yeah. a great way to to Absolutely. think about this movie um right. intimate confessions of a chinese courtesan i hope it i hope it becomes available to stream uh someday all right uh well hopefully everybody got some some good recommendations uh out of that and uh if you're interested in us maybe doing this again let us know in the comments uh in the meantime uh oh, oh right yeah you i left the, one off do the outro yeah and also oh, okay. uh sorry the original german version of victor and victoria you might know victor victoria but victor victor und victoria um mm-hmm. is uh not to be mean to germans it's the rare great german comedy is <laughs> <laughs> uh, that what they're known for yeah um but it's like this and Tony Erdman are like the <laughs> really good. Anyway, um, and you can actually find my review of Victor Victor and Victoria um, at battleshipretention.com. You can email us at david at battleshipretention.com or tyler at battleshipretention.com. Um, this week on 
you can follow me at Dave, follow me on Twitter at Davy Pretension. Also, this week I reviewed The Witches of the Orient, which you might have heard me talk about on the Movie Journal this week. And uh, don't forget to tune in to the one where I met your mother, the podcast where my wife and I talk about one episode of excuse me, one episode of Friends and one episode of How I Met Your Mother uh, every week, and do some fun compare and contrasts, and then talk about our own memories of of these times in our lives um find that at battleshipretention.com as well tyler you can email you can follow tyler on twitter at tyler pretension tyler what do you have to plug uh at the moment nothing but uh, over at more than one lesson.com um i will be doing probably in the next week uh an episode about uh, paul schrader's first reform Ooh, good one uh blah, blah blah what else do i say here um i guess that's it then thank you for listening We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 